Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye Sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. The man is right. It is time for Hawk Central right here. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and now on 106.3 FM. And uh, I am Andrew Downs. Ross Peterson normally in here today, but I'm in for him today, and I'm happy to do so because uh, it's a fun time to talk Hawkeye athletics, and I get to do that with our friends from the Des Moines Register, Mark Emmert and Chad... uh, Mark Emmer and Chad Lysico, of course. Chad, what's up, man? How you doing, Andrew? I was just thinking on the way in. I mean, it's uh, you're a lifelong Hawkeye fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember a time in the winter where it's been this uh, wow, year of plenty type of thing with women's basketball, wrestling, men's basketball. I mean, the 80s, I guess. But, uh, you know, and football is coming off a... Of, Ten and three seasons. That's the thing, you know. Not not in my lifetime that I can think of, or, or not in my time of you know, kind of being aware as a sports fan. You know, you have the big bowl win, a ten win season, a fun football season, and then it goes right into yeah, an unexpectedly great basketball season, probably for both teams, unexpected. Yeah, right. uh, and then you know maybe a, a a national championship on the horizon for wrestling. We, we'll see. We, I, 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 I want. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need you to back me off a little bit because as a novice wrestling fan, that's like where my expectation is. Um, and I know that may be ridiculous. We'll find out a lot Friday night, and we'll talk more about that in our fa- final segment as Cody Goodwin joins us uh, in studio here to talk about that uh, that that meet coming up Friday night and a lot more with wrestling. Mark Emmert also joining us on the phone. What's up, Mark? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Uh, we'll we'll start with hoops because uh, this has been a, a fun season. And a fun kind of streak of wins here, five in a row now for Iowa. We'll we'll start it though with uh, the other night's game, Monday night, Iowa against Wisconsin. Iowa gets the win, sixty-eight to sixty-two after trailing for I mean the majority of the game and and trailing by twelve with I think seven minutes to go. Uh, a great comeback win for the Hawkeyes, a a needed win I think if if you're going to have some of the kind of big picture goals that that now Iowa fans you know expectations change throughout the season and and I think expectations are, are starting to grow quite a bit for this team. Uh, quickly though, Chad, just kind of a big picture look at, at that game the other night and kind of what you took away from it. Well, certainly, uh, obviously spectacular comeback. I mean, to, to hold Wisconsin, to me, what stood out is holding Wisconsin scoreless for five plus minutes after they got down 57 to 45. Uh, and I rewatched that game this morning while I was working out actually, and, um, was, uh, every single Anything that Wisconsin did in those last seven minutes was hotly contested, usually by a scrambling or just well-in-position Iowa defender. And when was the last time we talked about Iowa having a defense you could lean on in tough times? And I think that's why, in the past, this team has lacked that ability to either close out or come back from a big deficit down the stretch because they didn't get the stops they needed. And so I think that you're seeing that more and more with this, this year's team, especially in this particular game. Mark, how about you? Any big big picture takeaways from uh, the win over Wisconsin Monday night? Yeah, I thought actually uh, speaking of the defense, that uh, Joe Toussaint really set the tone for that when he came in uh, in those final seven minutes uh, after being benched early in the second half, as he sometimes is. And uh, <laughs> I thought he was the difference in the game. Honestly, when he came in and got that uh, steal right away and that and one, uh, really really lifted the team. You could just feel it. And even uh, C.J. Frederick said afterwards that he thought that uh, that changed the entire complexion of the game. That that was such a huge uh, game from him, and and that the play you talk about there, Mark, the the and one to take the lead for Iowa. I think mm-hmm. he had three and ones. Joe Toussaint yeah, did, uh, did against against Wisconsin, um, and and really it, it's 
for a team with as many kind of uh, bigger stars as, as this one has, it's starting to feel like this team goes as Joe Toussaint goes. You know, if, if he plays really well, they have a really good chance to win. If he has an off night, it's, it's going to be a little more difficult. Uh, obviously, those Toussaint and ones were big plays. Uh, Chad, any other, like, you know, important plays, huge plays that, that stood out to you uh, from the win over Wisconsin? Well, obviously, the one Mark mentioned, um, you know, it was 57-46, an 11-point game, and uh, Wisconsin's got the ball, <laughs> and, and Tucson gets that steal and three-point play. Uh, but I like, you know, one thing um, that I noticed on the rewatch this morning, too, was uh, end of the first half, Iowa was, gosh, just had nothing going. And then all of a sudden, Frederick finally breaks the ice with that kind of that dribble step-back three. It was a, a thing of beauty uh, that he just created that space. And then Toussaint gets his first of the three and ones uh, right after Wisconsin hits two free throws. He basically beats everyone down the court by himself, gets the three-point play, and Iowa ends up scoring six points in the last 30 seconds, 37 seconds of the first half tip to make it 30-30. to 30, And at that point, I tweeted this. It was like, as terrible as that first half went, like this, this Hawkeye team is right where it wants to be uh, in this game. So I thought that that was important just to stay in striking distance after what was a pretty Awful first half. Mark, how about you? What was the, the kind of key player or maybe one or two key plays from, from that game? Yeah, I think definitely the, the – I mean, I, every one of the two saw and ones is big, but yeah. I think the final one that put, that put Iowa ahead for good, um, mm-hmm. that was uh, – I mean, they never trailed again. I thought that was a really gutsy move by him too, and it was a good read because that play was supposed to go to Garza, and uh, he saw Demetrius Trice kind of cheating toward Garza as they were all night and decided, you know what, I'm just going to take it myself into the lane and – Drew some contact, and he said uh, he honestly said that in November he probably would have been able to make that play. He wouldn't have been strong enough. He's been working out with uh, Maxwell quite a bit, and he feels like he's stronger and able to absorb that contact in the lane as a little guy and still make the basket, and that's, that's what we saw. And yeah. then Wisconsin came down on that next trip, and uh, Reavers, I think it was, had a pretty good turnaround look, but Luca, Luca challenged him. The ball goes in and out. I mean, that's a nice break you need. <laughs> with the, Those Carver rims usually give you the benefit of the doubt, but that one... Rimmed out, and Joe uh, flies high for the board, comes down and gets the two, and then, of course, the the uh, controversial uh, upper leg punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, the because, yeah, that, that Wieskamp finger roll was, was the key play, and that's where everybody's eyes were. That's where my eyes were. Uh, I, I went back to try to find the audio of, of Dolphin and Bobby talking about the actual play, and they, they really have no idea what's going on. They don't understand why Connor's at the free throw line coming out of that timeout. Uh, they, it hadn't been explained to them at that point. Um, and, and really on TV, they did an okay job of showing it, but it, it wasn't until you saw the replay over and over again. And, and Chad, I thought you had a great insight um, on the text chain, which I'm so happy to be a part of. I think oh. that's such a cool thing you Thanks, guys buddy. do. Uh, it's, it's really kind of... Uh, filled out my life as a Hawkeye fan. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> wow, high praise. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. <laughs> but you, you had tweeted or texted something yesterday morning you know, on, a, on a second watch of that of praising Connor McCaffrey for, A, not losing his cool in that moment, which you could understand why he would do it. That, that game had starting to get really chippy. It had been a physical game all night. Uh, we saw a couple of technicals down the stretch. So you could see how, you know, I mean, getting – punched in the groin would would make you upset <laughs> but he had kind of the presence of mind to let the play go and, and you know he knew Wieskamp had just made a huge play and, and Iowa I think had taken a three-point lead at that point mm-hmm. but then to also then go over to the ref and say hey did you, you see what he just did to me mm-hmm. uh, and kind of get them to go back and look uh, the 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 basketball IQ we're seeing from Connor on and off the court at this point is is pretty remarkable yeah I appreciate pointing that out and the other thing like 
uh, it's kind of interesting about that sequence is, I mean, the game was continuing at that point. Yeah. And Greg Gard, you know, when they get down court, calls the timeout. I mean, if he doesn't call timeout there, uh, that play probably goes on and never gets looked at. You know, because they called the timeout, <laughs> Iowa, you know, the refs look at it. You know, everyone's confused for two and a half minutes. And then uh, Iowa gets uh, a free throw and the ball. I think Garza made one of two after that. And then Iowa gets another stop. Garza, or, and then Connor made another two. So, I mean, really, you know, that ends up being a four-point trip for Iowa. You know, instead of Wisconsin having the ball and a chance to tie. So, right. Huge, huge so turning point. That, that's in that all game. on Connor, right? in a way, just for keeping his cool, and also Greg Gard for giving Iowa the stoppage. And then did, did you get any insight as to what the technical on Garza was then uh, a few plays later? Uh, Mark, did, did they talk about that at all um, in the post game? Yeah. I mean, you, I, I, I posted a video on Twitter. You could see uh, Pritzel. It, it looks like he says something to Garza as Garza's laying on the ground. He got knocked down yeah. in the lane. Looks like he says something to Garza, and Garza gets up quickly and, and kind of goes after him. Did, did they talk about that after the game? Yeah, it was it was uh, Garza said something that he that he shouldn't have and that he regretted. Uh, he admitted that he <laughs> okay. uh, he was wrong there. Uh, but um, yeah, obviously Pitchell had said something to him earlier, but uh, I'm sure the refs didn't hear that part of it. And then of course it was probably the part where you know it looked like he was about to charge into their huddle, and I think he would not have. I think you know people cooler heads prevailed, but he was he said in the moment he got a little lost his composure and said it won't happen again. But uh, so that that technical was deserved. He, he did admit that. Well, talking. Go ahead. No, I mean, don't you think also the refs were probably cognizant of what had happened you know 30 sure. seconds earlier yeah, right. probably felt yeah. like if yeah. we don't give him a t here yeah. you know yeah right it's probably you know one-sided in one way or the other so it almost looked i thought i was wondering if wisconsin was going to get the ball because i was watching on tv i was at home for yeah the game, and uh um, yeah. you know if they had and the guy made both free throws they would have but they didn't get the ball right because so the difference was the, the one on connor was a flagger at one so that's Shots and the ball. Yeah, I was right. where I was concerned about that too. You're right because they could have easily, you know, it was oh, a five point game. I think at yeah, that point, right. and it was like, oh my god, they, they could tie <laughs> this thing up. Uh, we're, we're talking about Luca Garza, and it's it's funny. It seems like every conversation I have about Iowa basketball, we just kind of take him for granted at this point. You just expect him to do what he does each and every night. Uh, Mark, you even tweeted something. I, I retweeted you at halftime because at halftime I'm sitting there like, man, Garza's having a terrible game. He can't make any of these <laughs> shots. You know, he's he's having a lot of trouble. And then you 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 tweet that he had nine points and eight rebounds like oh okay he's almost got a double double in a in a big 10 game it's just something that we're just expecting uh you know it felt like he had kind of an off night against wisconsin and he comes away with 21 and 18 um you know playing like maybe the best big man in the country uh, did he have an off night it, can, can we expect an off night i guess from luca garza at all because at this point it doesn't seem like he's capable of that mark yeah, no, that was an off night. He even, he even called it that. It's funny that we're saying this because I think that was his exact words when I talked to him. I said, yeah, it was an off night for me. And my teammates had to help me out. But he found, I mean, he had six offensive rebounds. You know, <laughs> he's going to the glass. I mean, I think the thing was he had three turnovers in the first half, four for the game. That's kind of unlike him this year. And, and obviously, six of 17 from the field. He missed both of his three pointers, missed four free throws again. So that's still kind of an issue there lingering for him. So. He played 37 minutes, 21 and 18, as you mentioned. Definitely didn't win the game without him. I mean, he was he was huge. They were double and triple team on him. He got all the attention, and uh, and I think um, you know that's he's not going to have an off night. That's what we learned. I mean, his worst game was that game uh, against San Diego State where he got a little foul trouble. And I think he had nine and eight in that game. So he's uh, he's going to be a double double guy pretty much night in and night out. I think that's been established already. As we move now through the the rest of the Big Ten season, Chad, and I know we're going to talk a lot in the next segment about these these you know next few games. But as Iowa moves through a second time through the league, 
sh- should we be worried at all that teams are going to figure out Luca Garza or figure out a way to to kind of mitigate his stuff and and hopefully you know keep Iowa you know shooting poorly on the outside? Mm-hmm. Is there anything these teams can do to to affect Garza? Well, I think. Wisconsin kind of simulated a little bit of what Nebraska did, where yeah. they're just going to just attack Garza and make sure he doesn't beat them. Although it didn't, just like with Nebraska, he ends up getting 18 rebounds or whatever it was. Um, you know, big double double game. But so I think you may see that more and more and just say our best chance is still to hope that Iowa does not have a hot night from outside. Now, obviously, with Frederick in the fold, they have a better chance of doing that, but you know, they were what three for 20 the other night. So that is probably the best strategy, but I, he cannot be stopped one on one. I think that's we've made that clear. Although this game Thursday at Maryland, they probably have maybe the you know the type of defenders that that could stop him or come cl- as close to stopping him as as possible. I think he had twenty one against Maryland last time anyway. So, yep. uh, but that so yeah. In other words, end of conversation is yeah. He he's tough to stop one on one. Can't be stopped one on one. It'll be interesting to see what teams do as as Iowa moves through the schedule a second time. Uh, you talk about C.J. Frederick. Uh, it's it's kind of incredible. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we're we're worried that. He may not play the rest of the season. Fran had said a couple of things in, in a couple of media availabilities about uh, possibly shutting it down, and it didn't look good. And then all of a sudden, he has that Monday teleconference. Hey, he might play tomorrow night, and he's played every game since. And and been a big, you know, I think one of the big plays, at least for me, the other night was that that later three that he hit. I think it cut the lead to three. It was part of that, yeah. like you know, not it ended up being I think a twelve zero Iowa run, but it was a nine zero run at that point. It really got the crowd into it. Uh, I woke up my kids. I screamed when he hit that three. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, it's it's just been fun to watch him, Mark. I guess uh, is is that injury still lingering? It felt like such a big deal, and now two weeks later, it feels like it's not something we're talking about. No, he said he doesn't feel any pain. Uh, the last time I talked to him about it, uh, I mean, obviously it's something that they, they're probably concerned could come back. But I think that they've got those orthotics in his shoes. Uh, that's really helping him, and I think also, you know, obviously they're not. You know, having a heavy workload for him during practices. Now, I will say this: it's definitely helped Iowa that these three home games they had were five days apart each. So mm. they had three games in fifteen days. Now we're going to a stretch where they're going to have they're playing every three days now for a long for a while here. So yep. we'll see what impact that has. I mean, I think that they even understated, uh, underrated how, how important that was for Iowa to win those three home games. That they've had a lot of rest in between, and they've trailed in the second half of each of those three games too. So uh, I Late. think we should probably pep. Top the breaks a little bit here. That's not that's not a great formula for long term success. They can't be doing that every game and expect to be coming back. But it, it has worked for them so far, and I think it shows really the mental toughness of this team, maybe more so than any recent Iowa team that I can remember. You know, Garza's consistency is is becoming the stuff of legend. But is is CJ now, Chad, the the second most consistent? I mean, Wieskamp kind of comes and goes at times. Right. CJ seems to have this kind of ice water in his veins. He's he's always ready. Yeah, that was a. I was interested to get your take on this too because. Uh, yeah, I was having a conversation in the office yesterday about this. You know, Frederick is is you can rely almost on him more than Wieskamp, and that's not a knock on Wieskamp, no. but but he's he Wieskamp is capable of twenty six or going one for ten from three uh, in a game. At least that's been the track record this year. So yeah, I I kind of think he is he he is that steady guy, and I think it helps him that he doesn't have to be Joe Wieskamp right now yes. because Joe has to be Joe for this team to win and do a little bit of everything. And uh, Frederick just has to be CJ right now. He's your third option scoring. Uh, I talked to Sherman Dillard before one of the games uh, a while back, and he said he has he and Joe Wieskamp have such a similar mindset of just all business, but really know the game of basketball. And I think that uh, 
you're seeing that with, with CJ. I mean, I, I just become more and more impressed watching him just doing the little things um, every game. So he's that's been huge. But like Mark said, five games now in 13 days, uh, as you know, instead of three and 15 or whatever it was. So um, this is a this is a big stretch for that foot. I asked Fran in the teleconference today about CJ's foot. He said everything's good so far. Nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. new. Everything's good. So that's good. That's a good sign after playing 37 minutes like every night. Any other news come out of that that teleconference with Fran today? Uh, sellouts uh, for the next two home games. Oh, great. So it's, that's a that's a big uh, boost. I mean, it helps that they're weekend games. Finally, finally yeah. a weekend game. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. this Sunday, Super Sunday against Illinois, noon game. Plenty of time to get back for the game, and then uh, next Saturday. Saturday games at Carver are always attractive. Iowa's ticket office, et cetera, always loves to have Saturday home games, especially during the day. So that's against Nebraska, and if Iowa loses, that that's the one game on the rest of the schedule. And then we'll get to this: is you cannot lose that game, right? <laughs> like that would really yeah. take a hit. Get swept by Nebraska this year would be tough. You know, Joe Toussaint, uh, he's, he, it seems like something has clicked for him, Mark, recently. You know, he's, he's so quick and so fast. It, it felt like a lot of the season, you know, the first half of the season, he was almost too quick. And, and he started to kind of settle down. You see him a couple of times get, get deep in there and then pull the ball back out if he doesn't find something. He's not trying to force things. Uh, and, and he's, he's kind of learning what, what his offense is and maybe what his offense isn't. Ha, has something clicked with, with Joe Toussaint when you talk to the team? Yeah, I mean, certainly his past two games have been his best two of this freshman season, and there's no question about that. And I think one thing, he's, he's just a lot more confident. He's actually very vocal in the huddles now. I've been watching, uh, you know, on the sidelines when they call timeouts and stuff. He's actually, uh, yeah, kind of barking out a little bit to his teammates. And that's definitely what he did the other night when he came back in the game. He, he said he came back in and thought they were way too passive on defense in that press, and he came out and told them that. <laughs> and the things changed. So they were listening to him. I mean, he's a point guard, so he's got to be a leader, and I think he's starting to feel that a little bit. He definitely got. He also got uh, pep talks from both Luca Garza and Fran, uh, Connor McCaffrey after those. You know, he had three games that were pretty poor coming into these, this two game stretch. So I don't think we should say he's out of the woods yet. Um, he's still probably capable of having some off nights. But uh, they both came, pulled him aside, and said, "You know, we were, we were both there as freshmen too. We lost our confidence a little bit. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. We believe in you." And uh, I think that was very helpful to him as well. Like I mentioned, he's getting stronger. Um, you know, in the weight room, he feels like he's he's in better shape now than he was at the beginning of the season. So able to kind of handle the Big Ten. I think all those things are factors, but he's a pretty, you know, he's a very confident kid, I think, just in general. Uh, you know, a New York kid, obviously, he's got a little bit of that, that attitude, and I think that's really carrying over now onto the court, and he's kind of feeling that he's got to be a leader for this team more than he has been in the past, and that's uh, that's good for this team. Big test for him uh, Thursday night at Maryland. It, it'll be interesting to see if he can carry this on on the road. Definitely, and it, uh, I would put Joe Wieskamp in that category, too, because I – He's one for thirteen from three in his last two road games. So, and I know Maryland uses uh, some other kind of basketball. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I'll be investigating pregame to see how the Please. shots are coming. Chad is is Fran the coach of the year in the Big Ten right now? You know, I think uh, it's either him or Brad Underwood at Illinois. Probably at this point, uh, the mid if you voted a midseason coach of the year, given the injuries, I think you might give the nod to Fran, uh, especially if they can sneak one out at Maryland on Thursday. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think that's a great conversation. I think I've heard some Steve Peichel talk in there as well. Oh, yeah, I yeah, I should have mentioned him. Yeah. Is kind of, yeah. So, I mean, obviously here in Iowa, we would certainly look at what, what he's had to overcome, and I think he's you know definitely been the best coaching job of his career, but I'm not sure, you know, nationwide, is he getting enough credit for that? Do people really understand what Iowa lost and what they've had to go, go through to get to this position? I'm not sure people are going to take that into account as much as they should and just maybe just look at the records and say, well, wow, look at Illinois. <laughs> right. Look at what Brad Underwood's done, so. 
Uh, they get to play Illinois twice. Maybe maybe those games are for the Coach of the Year honor as well as uh, first there place. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's incredible to think about. I mean, coming into the season, the expectations that at least I had, and it seemed like everybody else had, uh, they've they've like already surpassed. I mean, maybe they've already yeah. surpassed the win total that a lot of people had mm-hmm. for this season. It's it's kind of incredible. Yeah, I picked them tenth in the Big Ten. I I admit it. I didn't I didn't see this coming. It's been fun. Uh, well, and, and a big stretch coming. It feels like, you know, it's one of these things where the more you win, then the more important the next game becomes. And uh, so, you know, I've, I've said a few times, hey, this is a big stretch of games, and they're 2-0 and in this current kind of big stretch right now, but it continues this week. We, we'll look ahead uh, to these next few games and, and the rest of the season uh, coming up here. It's Hawk Central. Right here on 1460 KXNO and 106.3. Our radio app today. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes. It's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM as well, Andrew Downs along with Chad Lysico and Mark Emmert from the Des Moines Register. It is Hawk Central coming your way every Wednesday here on KXNO. And Mark, uh, you've, you've got a big piece coming up uh, for Sunday's paper on Luca Garza. Uh, I guess I'll just kind of give you the floor and, and let you tell us about that and, and anything you can uh, tease for that article that we're all excited about. Yeah, obviously we talked a little bit just, just now about how Iowa's exceeded expectations for most of us as a team, and I think certainly Luca Garza has kind of come out of nowhere on a national scene. I, I've been talking to some national people that, like Jay Billis, will observe basketball pretty closely, and, and none of them saw this coming out of Luca Garza this year. I don't think uh, I don't I don't know why you would have. Honestly, I didn't have one of my all preseason, all Big Ten ballots. Now the kids, you know, he averaged 13 points a game last year. We knew he was a good player, a solid player. We knew he'd probably take a step forward. But my goodness, he's playing on a level that uh, I'm not sure. And I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on this too. Have you ever seen anybody in an Iowa Hawkeye basketball uniform that's doing what Luka Garza has done? I mean, even in the last 40, 50 years, I mean, it's unbelievable. Megan Gustafson. But he's, he's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was thinking of a men's player, but yeah, certainly that's very comparable because. Um, He's, I mean, he's definitely in the top two or three for National Player of the Year right now. And so the question is, how has he God, done it? Crazy. Like, what, what has changed about Luca Garza? And I think uh, you just got to look at his work ethic. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit in this article, but actually quite a bit in the article is that uh, he, he took a trip to Europe last summer to work out. It has been really intense workouts over, uh, you know, his, you know, his mother's from from uh, Bosnia, and that's where he went and worked out with his uncles and cousins and his dad and just some of the intense things that they do to get in shape. And he said that the biggest difference this year to last year is just how much stronger he is. He just can't get knocked off the post the way he could in the past, so he's able to finish a lot of those plays. And uh, and uh, it goes all the way back to his childhood. I've talked to people that, that taught him you know, back in high school, and this kid is just like an unbelievably hard worker, very, very uh, single-minded when he wants when he sets his mind to something. He, gets, he just sets out to accomplish it. And his father told me this does not surprise him at all. He saw this coming from Luca all along, that this kid could be an uh, All-American type player, and he thinks that Iowa can win a national championship here. That's why they came here. So it's really, really interesting to talk to those people about, about who this kid is and how he's gotten to this point in his life. You know, I remember his freshman season. It was that it was that bad season for the Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. But I remember in, in watching, you know, you guys posting post game interviews and things like that, and thinking, man, he's really taking a leadership role on this team, even as a true freshman. And and I was really impressed by that. Uh, he took he took a step in his game from his freshman to sophomore year. I expected another step. I didn't expect a leap. I didn't expect, right. I, and really, I, who who could have expected this ever from from Luca Garza? Yeah, right, and. Um... You know, I, that, that makes me think back to the offseason that year when we didn't know if Tyler Cook was going to stay or go. And I remember writing a column based on some good information um, that the team was more than happy if Tyler left to build around Luca Garza because they saw some of this coming too. Uh, and obviously, you know, I think, 
I think there were signs of that coming, but obviously Mark's going to get into you know this offseason stuff too. But uh, this guy has something to him that that people rally around, and I think uh, you know it's obviously coming into fruition this year. And just uh, impressive how everyone's kind of lined into their roles, uh, you know, right behind him. I mean, the, he's the unquestioned star. Joe's the unquestioned two. CJ's the unquestioned three. Connor does his thing. Joe T does his. Ryan Creener's the bench guy, and then you got Bakari and Cordell, and that's it. So. Yeah, and, and the, the eight man rotation is really. Uh, it, you would think it would hamstring McCaffrey, who has who has liked you know bigger rotations. He has no than choice that. now, <laughs> but That's yeah, he has no it. choice, and exactly, it, it seems to be working. You wonder if this will change his philosophy at all moving <laughs> forward. Probably not. Probably <laughs> but, I'm going to say no. But it is interesting because no. it's it's really six guys, and and you you know you yeah. hope you get yeah. what you get from from Evelyn and you know Pemsel. You, you get some tough minutes from those guys and some good defense from Pemsel, that sort of a thing. But you really have six guys that that you're relying on and. While that feels uh, tenuous, you know, you're, you're an injury away from this whole thing falling apart, it also feels repeatable and sustainable. It doesn't feel like anything is happening. I mean, the Garza thing, he, the way he's playing, but it, at this point it's not a fluke. It's just what he does. It, this feels like a sustainable thing for this team moving forward. And I think that's, at least for me as a fan, that's what has me most excited about, you know, the, the rest of this regular season and then heading into March Madness and, you know, what could happen for this team? How far could they go? Because... They're just a – it feels like this is the way they're going to play every night. Yeah, and I think we're going to find out, uh, like I said, there's five games in 13 days uh, right now where there's no – it's all game, two days, two days, game, two days, game, two days. And I asked Fran today, you know, do they – what is their scheduled day off this week? And he said – because they have to have one a week. He said they don't have one this week. They, they're going to bank it or, or move it around. So – because they don't, they can't really afford to take a day off uh, this week. So, it, this is going to be a grind that's going to test that eight man rotation or six man rotation. I mean, I mean, Pemsel didn't even play in the second half the other night. So, right, uh, you know, that's it's actually getting slimmer by the minute. It would be nice to have a comfortable win at some point where you could rest guys, <laughs> but uh, don't really see that coming this week. No, you don't because you know at Maryland and then home against Illinois. Then you follow that up with at Purdue, home against Nebraska. So of the five games in thirteen days, you already got the win against Wisconsin. You, you feel like if you're going to you know compete for, I I stop myself before I even say some of these things, right? Compete for a Big Ten regular season title, uh, even compete for you know maybe like a, a top three in the Big Ten. It feels like you're going to have to rattle off what I mean, you know, three of these next four at least. I'd say three. Yeah, if they can go. If they can get one, no, that's a three and one would be outstanding as the next four. What do you think, Mark? I mean, even two and two Absolutely. might be okay. Yeah, you almost got to protect home. They almost got to go ten and zero at home. Yeah, and Illinois is going to be yep. the toughest of the next of the rest of the year. Like if you look at the Iowa's remaining home schedule, home it does yeah. get a little by record easier down the stretch because you get uh, I think Nebraska, Ohio State, Purdue, and Penn State. So those are not teams yeah. right now in the upper tier. So, if, I mean, that's a lot to ask to go ten and zero at Carver, but then you steal even three. I mean, two more. You got Northwestern already. Steal two more. You're yeah. thirteen and seven. I, I think that gets you the double buy. And that's that's a key, I think, which has never happened under McCaffrey and, ever. And, and that maybe should be the the kind of short term goal for this team. Don't, yeah. don't you think getting get that top four, get that double buy? That would, I think, that would be a good thing to think about as a fan, and maybe not the seed. <laughs> 
in the NCAA because then everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, because that's kind of where we are now. You know, for a long time in this season, it was, hey, I, I think they could play themselves onto the bubble. I th- okay, now I think they can play themselves into the tournament. Well, now uh, I think every reasonable fan expects an NCAA tournament appearance. And so now we're going to start talking about, all right, how high can the seed get? How, right. you know, where can they, right. where can they get to? I know the net rankings have been a little lower than, you know, the, the Sagarin and the Ken Palm and, and some of those things uh, throughout the season. Uh, I mean, is it time to start talking about NCAA seeding for this team, Mark? Uh, sure. Don't we talk about that year-round? <laughs> <laughs> that's mean, true. Why would we stop now? Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, definitely that's what hurt that team last year. I think uh, Chad and I talked about at length. They, they went in that late swoon and ended up with a 10 seed when they could have been a 5, you know, going into that, that last stretch. And that was a huge difference, obviously. And and I think uh, this team definitely wants to be a top-four seed in the NCAA tournament, and there's no reason not to aim for that. Yeah, even a five. I mean, I think top five seed. I know that's a high goal, but if you can get to the five, even six, because six is so much easier yeah. than seven yes. or ten. The seven is so Because if you get the six, fun. you're probably not in a hostile home court for the three. Um, you know, like uh, usually you would get against a two. I mean, I was run into that several times in the past. Gonzaga, Villanova were basically road games. You know, as sevens, and then last year they almost pulled it off against Tennessee. But yeah, top. But you know, if they lose to Maryland tomorrow, yeah, they're, they're fifth in the Big Ten, so right. they're not even in the double by position. That's as good it, a year as this has been already. It's so bunched up that the yeah. top ten of, of the Big Ten right now, you lose a couple of these games, and you you kind of free fall Draw, through the standings. Yeah, exactly. And they could be in eight at the Big Ten tournament. So well, there's a long way to go, and, and a lot of fun basketball to come. I know uh, Chad, you'll be at Maryland. Uh, everybody can follow his coverage uh, at Des Moines Register. And, uh, and on Twitter with Chad as Iowa goes. You know, wrapping up here in this segment before we move on to wrestling, because I know that's a, a big thing. We got Cody Goodwin here. Uh, it, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Iowa women at this point. 31 in a row at, at Carver Hawkeye Arena. They, they retired Megan Gustafson's jersey Sunday. Uh, another win, um, 17 and 3 on the season, uh, number one in the Big Ten right now. After losing the National Player of the Year and everybody waiting for Caitlin Clark to come next year, you lost a couple other seniors off that team last year. You lose that game early to, to Northern Iowa, and everybody starts thinking, oh, this is going to be a tough year, a rebuilding year for Lisa Bluter. And they're just they're rolling right now. It's, it's kind of amazing how well they're playing. Uh, you know, I don't want to dive into this too much, but you've got to mention how, how good this what, now 18th-ranked Iowa women's basketball team has been playing. Yeah, I'll jump in if Mark wants to add any can, but I know that the uh... – Kathleen Doyle is probably playing like Big Ten Player of the Year right now. Yeah. That'd be amazing if mm-hmm. Iowa had back to back Big Ten Player of the Year and, and, and women's back and men's and women's in the same season. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, I mean, it's a fourteen-team league where Maryland has historically, since they've joined, been the dominant program in the Big Ten. And I think you'd have to say, you know, could Iowa possibly be on the verge of becoming that that top program in the Big Ten? I mean, certainly they proved it last year. They've already beaten Maryland this year. Uh, they've beaten, you know, they they took down Rutgers uh, in the past, and so uh, it's going to be interesting. They're, I don't, they have an in, a key injury right now with Monica um, Cisnano, um, you know, with a serious ankle injury the other day, and she's a she's their, you know, Megan Gustafson successor. So we'll see how it goes. Long way to go for the women. They're not. I don't feel actually as confident necessarily of them maintaining this just because they're so inexperienced outside of the two um, guards. So it's fun though. It's fun. They get great crowds. They do. I mean, passionate yeah. crowds. Yeah. 13,000 the other day. That's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Mark, anything you wanted to add here before we let you go and bring Cody on? 
Well, just in the women's game, obviously they have great momentum. You mentioned the, the big recruit they got coming in next year, so I think Chad's right. This could, it's definitely sustainable for them. Fantastic. All right, Mark, we're going to let you go. When we come back here on Hawk Central, we're going to talk wrestling. It's Iowa-Penn State Friday in a sold-out Carver-Hawkeye Arena, and then some big news for the Iowa wrestling program uh, coming out yesterday. I saw Chad broke that. We'll talk about that and more with Cody Goodwin. This is Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, and this is 1460 KXNO, and now on 106.3. It has set the hook. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, I am Andrew Downs along with our friends from the Des Moines Register, Chad Lysico, hanging out with me here, me here for this final segment. And we've let Mark Emmert go because we got Cody Goodwin in the studio. What's up, Cody? I'm doing good. We still got to work on uh, Mark becoming a wrestling fan, Chad. That's, uh, that, that's been a couple years in the making. I don't know if we've made any progress. No progress. <laughs> no progress at all. You know, I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan, and I'm, I'm into it this year more than ever, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly a novice, especially compared to the two of you. And, and Chad, I know you're getting more and more into it, so that's been kind of fun. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys kind of handle mo- the majority of this segment, but I do want to kind of start with some news that came out yesterday, Chad, and you were the first I had saw with the story um, kind of before the the university put out the release, but the, they made public uh, the plans to move forward with a new wrestling facility. So what, what does this look like? What does it mean? Well, it's going to be uh, south, south of Carver, but on the same side of the street. So it's going to be, you probably have never noticed, but there's a cluster of trees right there kind of as you walk up to the arena, and that's where it's going to go. Um, obviously, the big news here is it's a standalone wrestling facility, a state-of-the-art facility that should, you know, in addition to the Iowa name, you know, be a catalyst in attracting top talent uh, from around the country. Kind of a, shows their commitment to, you know, winning national championships. I mean, the, and and part of the story that I wrote was uh, the donations that they've had to kind of secure behind the scenes because this is privately funded. They can't steal, you know, Kirk Ferentz's uh, football money, <laughs> even though they probably could <laughs> take like you know five million here or there. Right. But, uh, but they have to raise it all themselves, and they've gotten some really. Uh, big donations from from some um, really passionate Iowa wrestling fans that want to see Iowa be, you know, this next decade be Iowa dominated, not Penn State dominated. Yeah, so. does, uh, Cody, does this put Iowa in a position to kind of make that sort of move? I know you know new wrestling room, new locker rooms, new strength and conditioning program, a Hall of Champions, all that kind of stuff. Like, how does this take the program to another level in your mind? Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a wicked recruiting tool and. You know, I, I know you don't follow wrestling probably as closely as I do, but um, you know Chad's kind of clued into this a little bit. There's there's a little bit of a facilities arms race going on in college wrestling right now. Mm-hmm. Ohio State just built a brand new state of the art facility that's shared by both wrestling and and volleyball, but it's you know it's a huge thing for wrestling. Michigan just recently made some wicked new additions. Minnesota recently just opened a brand new wrestling facility, and so this is kind of Iowa's turn to say, hey, um, you know, we still have the backers here to produce a brand new facility. And I, well, the last time they upgraded the Dan Gable Wrestling Complex would have been what 2011. 2012 yeah i mean i don't even know I um mean, it, it is outdated i mean even though you know, the it's, a, it's a good quality yeah. wrestling facility but compared to what cody's describing and i know oklahoma state's you know trying to build a 40 million dollar facility this is more in the 20 million range you know that so like you said i mean everyone's trying to get ahead here and i think iowa wants to kind of keep its place yeah so it's it's going to be huge for for i mean this this is going to be a lasting impact for the program Definitely well, a good thing. You know, Iowa, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses as far as facilities and, and trying to keep up with Penn State right now uh, as far as this season. Again, kind of a novice guy here, but 
at, at this point, like I'm expecting a national championship. I know that that may be ridiculous. I guess is that ridiculous? Is maybe the first question. I don't think that's ridiculous this year. This team, I, we kind of knew coming into this season that this Iowa team had the firepower, had the talent, had the overall depth. That you know, if they were going to get it done, this is probably their best shot since the 2014-15 season. Um, you know, and it's been a decade since they last won. So I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that. And and to this point in the season. They haven't shown anything that suggests that they can't win it. Um, but this Friday's duel, I think we're going to learn a lot more than maybe we have in the previous eight yep. duels combined. It's going to be a lot of fun. So is this then sustainable? Like, or is this just an up year for Iowa, a down year for Penn State, relatively speaking? And, and this is kind of the year Iowa needs to strike while the iron is hot? Or, or is this, you know, has this program elevated to, to the Penn State level? I think there's a, there's a little bit of a combination here. I think when Chad and I were at Media Day back in you know, late October, early November, I described it as the, the championship window is open. And it's a combination of Iowa piecing together a lineup and a roster that you know, is maybe the best since that 2010 team. I mean, that team put five wrestlers in the finals. They won three champs. They finished with eight total All-Americans and scored 134 points at the NCAA championships. This team has the capability to do that or even surpass that, mm-hmm. which would be incredible on a number of different levels. I mean, currently, all 10 of the presumed starters are ranked in the top 10, I think even in the top 8 at their respective weights. Yeah, top eight. And only one team in NCAA history has had finished the year with 10 All-Americans. That was Minnesota in 2001. So, and they didn't have a finalist. Yeah, that's the, kind of pot- that's the kind of potential we're talking about with this Iowa wrestling team. Now, of course, Penn State's been able to rattle off you know eight titles in the last nine years because they've had some generational type talents right and Mm -hmm. some of those guys over the years have finally graduated so it's probably a combination of iowa going up penn state maybe coming back to the pack a little bit um but yeah i mean i mean this is a really good hawkeye team and i i really hope people have enjoyed them watching them so far this season because this is one of the best teams they've maybe ever had how important is this season for tom brands right now then oh i mean it's to me the next two months um or Heavily on his shoulders. I mean, how he manages this all. He's he's got to kind of manage every guy in the room. Make sure they're staying healthy, doing everything right. All these guys are really good character kids, and that helps a ton. I mean, that's a huge uh, centerpiece really of this program. And so, but like Cody said, I mean, let's let's boil down this Penn State duel Friday night, eight o'clock, BTN. I mean, there's ten ten bouts there. I think we talked about it, Cody. Three probably. You know, what'd you say? Yeah, I think Iowa's looking favorite, at it, one in Penn State's and six toss-ups. Yeah, I think looking at that. it on paper, you've probably got three weights where Iowa's the favorite. One twenty-five, obviously, with Spencer Lee because he's always going to be the favorite. Um, I think you give Iowa the edge at heavyweight with redshirt freshman Tony Cassiope. It looks like he's expected to wrestle true freshman um, Seth Nevels from Penn State. And then I think you give Iowa the favorite at one fifty-seven. Um, Caleb Young, I think he's going to wrestle Bo Pfeiffer. Um, although it looks like Brady Berge, who's a pretty talented wrestler, was listed on the probables for Penn State, and that guy is, you know, he's an All-American threat this year at 157, and I think that that might change the way people look at that match if he were to take the mat. Um, you give Penn State, I think, the odd at, at the, you know, the, the favorite at 141. That's Nick Lee's a returning All-American. He's a national title threat this year, and and Iowa's not going to have Max Murin, who's kind of their number one guy at 41 um, on Friday. Carter Happel's going to get the nod again. Tom Brand said that this week. So you look at those four matches. And if you you know assign points to them based on results that we think they're going to get, you give Iowa the edge 11-4. The rest of this duel, I think, is going to come down to the other six weights. And you can make arguments that Iowa's favored at some of these weights. You can make arguments that Penn State's favored at some of these weights. But, I mean, you get Iowa and Penn State in the same building. It's a sold-out crowd. Ugh. Anything is going to happen on <laughs> Friday night. And that's, I, that's why I, it's going to come down to these six weights. How are they decided? How, how do they unfold? That's what's going to decide this duel for either side. Well, let's go through those six weights then. Uh, we'll, we'll just start. I'll, I'll throw it out to you guys. 
give me a minute or so on, on each one. Uh, what's going to happen at 133? So that's Austin DeSanto, Iowa's uh, After Spencer Lee's first period tech fall. He has a tendency to do that. Go, uh, go ahead, Cody. So, yeah, no, Austin DeSanto, 133, returning All-American for Iowa. He's going to have uh, Roman Bravo Young, who's another returning All-American. Um, he's a true sophomore. Uh, for Penn State, really talented. It looks like he's upped his game a little bit here, and I'm very intrigued to kind of see what happens. Um, you know, we know DeSanto has that high motor, high pace. He just he tends to go, go, go. Um, but Rovan Bravo Young, he, he's slick. He's got some, you know, some. He's got really nice techniques from his feet. He's shown that he's, you know, pretty strong on top. Um, you know, DeSanto beat him twice last year, so this is one of those weights you could probably argue that Iowa's favored. Um, but the way Roman Bravo Young has looked this year. You just you never know what's going to happen. So it's I, I'm really looking forward to this matchup. And uh, you know if they start at 25, it's going to be a really exciting one. The yeah, one we out. don't know where they're going to start, but man, Desanto, he's those two guys are just so much fun to watch, Lee and and Desanto. But this is two versus four, so yeah. this is a, this is definitely a, a marquee matchup. How about at 149? 149. That's Pat Lugo. This is another way you could probably argue Iowa's favored against uh, Jared Verclearen, who I'm assuming he's going to get the nod for Penn State. Um, Lugo has looked. Tremendous this year. I know Chad was at the Ohio State duel with me on Friday, and you know him and I were talking about Lugo, who you know his next win is going to be his hundredth career victory, and and one forty weight or one forty nine is is a weight where you know there's probably four, five, six guys that could win that weight come March. It's just you know who who shows up with the best version of themselves in March, right? And you can throw Lugo into that mix, and I think you could throw Jared Verclearen in the mix to perhaps be a dark horse All American contender this year. I think he's got that kind of talent. I don't know that he's tapped into it yet this year. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this is one Lugo needs to win, and, and if he gets on his horse early, this could potentially be a major decision for Iowa, but um, Lugo's style also kind of lends itself to slow, grinded-out mm. matches, so this, this is an important one for the Hawkeyes. No Zane Rutherford, that's my takeaway. <laughs> At 149 for Penn State. <laughs> 165 pounds, Cody. This is one of the marquee matchups, um, and I know you could probably pencil all 10 in as marquee matchups for this duel, right? But this is, you know, number one, Vincenzo Joseph from Penn State, who's a three-time NCAA finalist, two-time champ against Alex Marinelli, who's number two ranked, um, one of the one-versus-two matchups. Uh, Marinelli has beaten Vincenzo Joseph twice, uh, but uh, Joseph has had the better NCAA tournaments come March yep. the last couple of years. So this is uh, this is another huge swing match that's going to you know not only you know, help decide the duel, but I, in a way it's going to help set the tone for this duel depending on where it falls in, yeah. in the order of things. So interested to see where this, du- this duel starts. It yep. started with Marinelli the other night. but When do they determine that? Right after weigh-ins. They, really? Yeah, they either flip a coin or I forget what the exact process is, but I'm banking on a starting at 25 because Tom Brands and Cale Sanderson, Penn State's coach, they're, they're pretty traditional guys, so yeah. it wouldn't shock me if they start at 25. I think that's good for Iowa. Yeah, yeah Spencer out there. Absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, points. hey, Kale might want to do so a little bit of gamesmanship and start it somewhere else so as not That's to, what I mean, yeah. 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 So. Well, you talk about the one-versus-two matchup, another one of those at, at 174. I'm very intrigued by this one um, mm-hmm. just because these two guys have never met before. Mark Hall, Penn State, um, another three-time NCAA finalist. He was a champ as a true freshman, number one ranked uh, this year. Michael Kemmer, number two ranked. He's looked very, very good in the bump up to 174. He missed all of last season with an injury, so we finally – um, get to see him at his new weight this year, and, and he looks fabulous. But I think this is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a tremendous test. You know, he Kemmer has passed all the tests to this point. He's beaten a handful of previous All Americans, a lot of really tough wrestlers um, on his way here. Um, but Mark Hall is Mark Hall, man. This dude's a gamer. This guy knows how to, how to win. Um, you know, successful freestyle wrestler as well. Um, this could very well be a preview of. You know, and the same thing about 165, a preview of, you know, not just the Big Ten finals, but potentially even the national finals in March. I mean, that's the kind of mm-hmm. talent we're talking about here. 184 and Abe Assad for Iowa. I like this matchup a lot, um, and I think this is one of those sneaky good matchups that could also decide the... I mean, I keep saying that about these matchups, right? But um, this is a battle of two true freshmen. Abe Assad, 
Um, really credentialed freestyle wrestler. Um, has looked great as a true freshman for the Hawkeyes this year. He's won what all four matches since they yanked his red shirt. Yep. Um, and he's going to get Aaron Brooks, who is you know just as talented, um, you know just as credentialed of a freestyle wrestler. You know I know he was dealing with a little bit of an injury in December, but um, the couple of matches I've been able to see him since, he looks very very good. Um, this is you know kind of a clash of styles. Abe is is kind of stocky and he likes to force his underhooks and kind of rustle you in a phone booth, right? Uh, Aaron Brooks is a little bit longer, a little bit lankier, maybe a little bit quicker. Um, so he kind of wrestles like a lighter weight. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how Assad deals with that. And, um, you know, he's I, one thing that Tom Brands really loves about Abe Assad is that he's, he's calm and he's intentional. And when he's out on the mat, he doesn't panic. And I, that's going to be absolutely crucial in a match like this. Finally, 197. Uh, another very intriguing matchup. This is a, a matchup of two returning All-Americans. Um, Jacob Warner was an All-American last year. Uh, Shakur Rashid for Penn State, who um, bumped up from 184. He was the two seed going into the national tournament last year at 84, and now he's up at 97, where he was an All-American two years ago at this weight. Um, another interesting clash of styles. Uh, Jacob Warner's got really heavy hands. He kind of stalks a little bit, and he's able to overpower his opponents. Uh, Rashid, another long and lanky guy that's able to get to the ankles, and he's got a really mean cradle, so uh, Jacob Warner better avoid his head next to his knee. But um, yeah, another match where, you know, I think, you know, 65 and 74 are going to steal the show, right? Because it's one versus two. But, but 84 and 97, I think, might be just as crucial, um, in terms of how this duel might be decided. Because, the, I mean, those are big, big matchups. And I want to see Warner because, uh, Tom didn't wrestle him last week. And that was a surprise to Jacob, uh, you know, against, uh, Colin Moore, one of the best 97 pounders in the country. Yeah. So, uh, see if Warner comes out with a little extra fire or what, you know, what he's got in him, you know, after. <laughs> Been put on the shelf last week. Yeah, Tom said that Warner was not happy about that decision because no. he told him Matt's side before he went out there. So yeah. it's, I'd be curious to see how he responds. I'm sure it. Tom liked it that he wasn't happy, right? That, that's kind of <laughs> yeah, true. You, you know, good that. point. Yeah. Call uh, him total pro. Uh, f- final minute here. I, I want a, a quick prediction here, Chad. What do you expect to happen Friday night, 8 o'clock in Carver Hawkeye Arena? Uh, fireworks. That's my prediction. Bunch <laughs> of fireworks. I think, I mean, if, uh, if there's, I mean, there's got to be something DeSanto does, you know. And is this the first time Spencer Lee's wrestled Penn State here? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So he they, hasn't, yeah. you know, they ha- he hasn't, they haven't, he has never faced Penn State in a Carver. So it's just good. the atmosphere is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna predict Iowa wins seven out of ten. Cody, uh, I I like seven out of ten too. I think it'll end up, you know, somewhere twenty to ten, twenty one ten, somewhere around that range. Um, these Hawkeyes are good enough, and I know I said we're gonna learn a lot about them, but we're gonna learn a lot about Penn State too. So this is the first of three rounds in a heavyweight fight for the national yep. title come March. Fantastic. I'm excited, man. That, it's going to be a big weekend at Carver Hawkeye Arena between that Friday and then the, the Illinois game on Sunday. Chad, thank you as always. Cody, thanks for coming in, talking some wrestling. Thank you to Mark Emmert. You can find the podcast at Hawkeye uh, at, at com. Also on the Des Moines Register. Follow all of the, the Hawkeye coverage at hawkcentral.com.